This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis and my co-host is my trusty service dog, Whistle. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we're especially excited because we're celebrating our 100th show. And who better to help us celebrate than our special guest today, Brandon McMillan. As many of you know, Brandon is an animal expert and host of one of Whistle and my favorite shows, the CBS Saturday Morning Emmy-nominated series Lucky Dog, which just premiered its second season on September 27th. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Brandon McMillan to the show. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. designerpetsweaters.com hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat beautiful couture patterns for your pets including custom knitted formal wear casual wear yachting and even sports themed many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats top hats and a lot of sparkle each sweater includes leg loops front paw sleeves and leash opening visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today large or small we fit them all designerpetsweaters.com let's talk pets on petliferadio.com Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. It's my pleasure to welcome Brandon McMillan to our show today. Hello, Brandon, and welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so excited you could be with us because Whistle and I have been watching your show and all the awesome stuff you've been doing with working dogs, and we just have so much to talk about today. But first, as we get started, we know you've spent your entire life working and learning about animals. So tell us a little bit about your history, Brandon, and when you knew you had a passion for training animals. Well, my parents were wild animal trainers in the circuits when I was a kid, so that's what I was born and raised doing. When I was 18, I moved to Los Angeles. I started training animals for the movies and, and commercials, and I did that for about 15 years. That's pretty much what gave me the uh, the background to eventually become the trainer on Lucky Dog. Wow. Well, so animals and, and training is in your blood. There's no question of that. <laughs> it really was in my blood. A lot of people, they had, they, uh, they had dogs and cats as pets when they were when they were younger, and I learned off just about every animal, whether it was a tiger, a bear, or a dog. Wow. Well, I've read that you say your hidden passion, though, is working with dogs. So how did you realize that dogs were really where your heart was? Because I trained animals for the movies for about 15 years, and when I was a teenager, I started doing this. I I was working at a company where they were from the old school, and 
they, they got their dogs from breeders. And so I convinced them, I said, let me get one dog from a shelter. And, you know, they, they fought, they pushed back, and finally they said, okay, fine, get a dog from the shelter. They said, breeder dogs are the way to go. Shelter dogs are just not going to work out in the film industry. So I got one dog from the shelter. It was a Rottweiler named Raven. She was about a year and a half, and once I trained her, she turned out to be one of our best dogs used for commercials. So that dog led to another dog, led to another dog, led to a full pack of dogs that eventually every single dog we had at our company was all from rescues and shelters. And so we became known for it. And from there, I started reading the statistics of how many dogs are put down every year because they can't find homes. And the numbers are staggering. There's no exact number, but it's in the millions. And this isn't happening in some far off place we never heard of. It's happening right here in our backyard. It's happening in every big city across the U.S., every small town in the entire country. And something had to be done about it. And so that's what set me off on a different course. And now it's my mission to spread awareness. Well, that's what I love so much about you, Brandon, and about the show Lucky Dog. It's just so incredible, the dogs that you pick and what happens with them as you work with them on the show. So tell us, how did the the concept and how did you really get started with Lucky Dog with the show? I was wrestling dogs for years, like I said, for, you know, for movies and television. And I see almost no point of going to a breeder nowadays when you can get the exact same dog at a shelter. People think shelter dogs are often damaged goods, when the reality is shelter dogs are just as trainable, if not more trainable, than breeder bot. And so once I was approached to do a show about this, I, you know, I couldn't say no. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, what am I going to do? Just, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, well, you know, it really was the beauty of Lucky Dog. It, technically, the only difference now with my life is they just have a camera on me. <laughs> and it, it really was the easiest transition. And, and, you know, it really is the dream job. I, I don't know how I got so lucky. I pinch myself every day wondering if I'm still dreaming. That's awesome. Well, how do you pick dogs to be on the show? Do people just write in or do shelters contact you? How do you select them? We get contacted now by hundreds, if not thousands of you know, emails across the country every week, sometimes across the world. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Think we're just gonna, they think we're going to fly to Sweden really quick to do it. <laughs> so, I wish yeah. we could. And so now the way, the way we like to do it is we really like to put the shelters in a light and showcase dogs. So people are under the impression that the shelters have all of the same dogs over and over. It's just a bunch of their German Shepherds or a bunch of Rottweilers. When the reality is shelters have a variety of dogs. And that's what I do every week on the show. I showcase different breeds. We've got Tibetan Terriers. We've got uh, Lhasa Opsos. We've got Golden Retrievers, Labradors, every, pretty much every breed in the AKC and beyond. And, you know, I want to bust all the myths out there that there's only damaged dogs to shelter and the same dogs over and over. Because the reality is walking into a shelter is like, you know, going into Disneyland for dogs. Yeah. There are yeah. so many, there are so many breeds out there and there are so many good dogs, so many good breeds, so many good trainable breeds in the shelter. And anyone who challenges me saying the shelter dogs can't be trained as well as breeder bot, I challenge them to watch one episode of Lucky Dog. Yeah. Yeah. So when you select a dog, how do you begin working with that dog and how long does it usually take? Because I know we see it all packaged into one beautiful episode, but tell us about the process and, and what that really looks like. So dog selection is one of the hardest things for me personally, because if that shelter has 100 dogs, unfortunately, 99 
won't walk out with me. Yeah. So selecting a dog, sometimes it's about the moment. Sometimes it's something I see. It really is one of the most difficult processes. It's something in my mind. A magic happens. And I say, this is the one I'm going to train and I'm going to find you a family. Unfortunately, I can't take them all. Yeah. Now, now, the training process, I usually have a plan when it comes to training the dog for obedience. I call obedience the seven common commands. And the reason why I label them as the seven common commands is that's my obedience. I have technically seven commands that I teach a dog, and I make them really good at those seven commands. A lot of people, they really don't have an idea or a package of what obedience is. And I like to label, this is obedience. It's almost like, like subjects in a school. You have history, you have math, you have science, you have English, where my seven common commands, that's labeled as obedience. Sit, stay, down, come, off, heal, and no. If you think about it, those are the most common commands that you say to your dog on a consistent basis every day. Yes, it Sometimes is. <laughs> exactly. Anything else, I'm not interested in tricks until those seven common commands are solidified. Anything else is tricks. But if anything, these are the seven common commands that I think everybody should teach their dog. Every dog should know these because once you get good at these seven common commands, life gets much easier around the house. I'm not in the business of teaching a dog 25 obedience commands. The less you teach that dog, the better they'll be at those seven commands. Where if you say, okay, I'm going to teach this dog 20 commands, well, guess what? They'll be so-so at the 20 commands. Right. (laughs) It's so true. And, And those commands will serve them so well because for Whistle, that absolutely is the basis of his commands as an assistance dog. I mean, that's it right there, those seven commands. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I was a student of martial arts for a lot of years, and I took several different times, and that's, that's kind of what taught me. That's what inspired me to do the Seven Common Commands, because of all the different kinds of martial arts out there, I'm a huge fan of all martial arts. I love reading about the history and where they came from and how they came to be. And what I learned is every martial art, they have their certain number of moves and techniques in that martial art. So, for example... I don't know how many, you know, no, how many moves Taekwondo has, but they have their certain number of moves, and that's what makes it Taekwondo. And then you have Jiu-Jitsu, and they have a certain number of moves that make it Jiu-Jitsu. Well, I label my seven common commands as a sort of martial art in that, in that sense because this is my training package. This is my style. Every trainer has their own style. This one is mine. I teach dogs seven common commands. I teach them seven. That's it. And I make them good at it. Yeah. Wow. Well, one of our favorite episodes was the one where you were training a dog to be with a woman who had memory loss. And I think you called it urban tracking training, which, yeah, which seems so hard. And it was the take me home command. So how was that experience working with that dog to teach that? It was incredible. But technically, I honestly didn't know if it could be done. It was almost a, a challenge to me because I had never done anything like that. So when I got the call from the woman's husband, he asked me, he says, listen, here's the deal with my wife. She loves walking. That's her favorite hobby to do is simply just taking a walk around the block. And I can relate because that's one of my favorite things to do. I yeah. Mean, just taking a walk really lets off steam. And at this point in her life, it's often the only thing she has left. Well, the first thing I did was there was a major Q&A between me and him. I said, number one, does she have the basic motor skills still? Does she understand what a crosswalk is? 
Does she understand to cross the street and look both ways across traffic? Does she understand how to do basic motor skills to keep herself and the dog safe? He said, absolutely. And I actually, he proved it to me. So I also said, does she understand that she's lost? He said, she does. And then I asked him, I said, okay, will she understand if a signal is given, whether she gives it or it's off an alert tone that I'm going to make custom made from a cell phone, will she understand when that alert tone goes off, the dog is going to simply lead her in the direction back to her front doorstep? He said, absolutely. I said, that's all I needed to hear. Now it can be done. So I worked for months on this dog and I started off on baby steps. I literally started in my driveway and I would say the command, take me home and simply do a U-turn with her and walk her back. And then I went to the neighbor's house and then the next house and the next house. And it took me weeks for her to understand the concept that every time she heard this command, take me home, now she knew she'd run back to that front doorstep and get her treats. Yeah. Well, once she started grasping the concept, she blew my mind because I thought I was going to have to go a block at a time and condition her to every little nook and cranny street around my neighborhood and beyond. This dog blew my mind. I would walk her two miles and she would start taking shortcuts home, streets we'd never <laughs> been on. Because what she started doing, she wasn't relying off scent anymore. She was relying on all five senses. She was relying off landmarks. She knew the freeway was going this way. She knew the wind blew this way. She knew the mountains were this way. And she would do her own math. And I thought she was getting lost half the time, but she would connect streets. And she was the most amazing dog. To this day, it was the most incredible dog I've ever trained. Yeah, it was awesome. That was one of my favorite, favorite episodes because that was just, I mean, the word incredible, really, that's all I can think of to describe it. It yeah. was just, it was amazing. And one day I might, you know, meet a, meet a dog that, you know, will blow my mind even more. But right now, she takes the throne. Yeah, yeah. And to look at that dog, you would have never thought that, that she would have been able to have done that. And that's your whole premise, the whole thing behind Lucky Dog, which is just so awesome and never judge, a, never judge a Yeah, never judge a book by its cover. And you I learned that years, <laughs> I learned that years ago in the, in the service dog industry. You know, when I was, this is a few years back, I, I, saw, I saw a woman and she was getting hassled because she had a service dog and it was a papillon. And everyone was like, because everyone was under the impression that service dogs, they're all going to be big, like they're guide dogs for the blind. Mm -hmm. And these people are very uneducated on a service dog to be technically any size, any breed. And so I know what her dog did. I actually talked with her just to confirm it. And what these people didn't realize, and I wanted to, I wanted to make them feel stupid, we just walked on. I talked to her for a bit, and I said, correct me if I'm wrong. That's a, a seizure detection dog, correct? Seizure alert dog? Mm -hmm. She said, yes the dog is trained to alert her before a seizure hits. And the dog can alert about 15 to 30 minutes before a seizure hits, saving, you know, saving for a lot of hassle. Yeah. And these people had no idea. But as time goes on, people will get more educated. Papillons are actually excellent service dogs for a seizure alert. Nothing gets yeah. by them. If you, know, <laughs> if you know that breed, nothing gets by them. You can actually have a house with the furniture that has not moved in two years. If you move that plant two feet to the right, that dog will notice. Papillons yeah. are notorious for nothing getting by them. And they're easily one of the smartest breeds out there. Yeah. Well, I know the seizure alert dogs, they blow my mind the most. The diabetes alert dogs. I mean, and like you said, it is all kinds of breeds that you would never expect that are just incredible that have that, that ability. So, yeah. Exactly. It, it's, yeah. So, 
can't make any assumptions about our four-legged friends, that's for sure. We're going to take just a quick break. We have so many more things that we want to continue talking about with Brandon. So please come right back after these quick messages. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're visiting today with Brandon McMillan, host of Lucky Dog. And we were talking before the break, Brandon, about some of the, the incredible dogs that you've worked with. And I was wondering if you could tell us about some of the dogs that we can look forward to seeing during this season of Lucky Dog. Well, there is one dog in particular, and he's, he's an incredible dog. I rescued him from a shelter. He's a golden retriever. And I got a call from a, a wounded veteran in Washington, D.C. He stepped on an IED, and he lost both legs and the use of his right arm. Now, he's relearning to walk on prosthetics. And so the dog is being trained for service for two main things. He's being trained to retrieve. Now, a golden retriever is naturally good at retrieving, but I'm taking him to the level where you use the retrieve for practical reasons. For example, golden retrievers naturally retrieve balls and toys and tugs. If you most likely throw a ball for a golden retriever when it's a puppy, it's just going to go run after it. It's in the DNA. It's in the biological makeup. But how do you bridge it over to practical objects, keys, cell phones, remote controls, things around the house that could assist somebody who needs it? That's exactly what the episode is based on. I teach the dog how to retrieve things for this gentleman who cannot use his right arm anymore. He's got one working arm and missing both legs. And so that's one of the, uh, that's one of the, uh, the services I taught the dog how to do. The other task I taught the dog how to do is called bracing, where over the dog's shoulders is the strongest part of the dog's back. These guys, they cannot walk up steps. The veterans who've lost their legs, they can't walk up steps very easily. Where the dog is trained to walk one step at a time, stiffen its body up, and you lightly push from the shoulders and help yourself up each step. That's so technically, so these dogs are stability mobility dogs. The dog's name is Sandy. It's, it's going to be an incredible episode. Most of my episodes in my show are based off either a week or a few weeks, depending on, depending on the issues. But this is a journey. This goes over the course of months because, as we all know, service dogs cannot be trained in a few weeks. 
No, they can't. It is. I'm always amazed at how much work goes into these dogs. And do you have a team of folks that work with you as assistant trainers, Brandon, or are you the main trainer? How does that work? Well, yes, I'm the main trainer. Now, I do have people, I do have assistants that um, help me go out and scout dogs. But what I do is once they find a couple of good options, then I go to the shelters and I sign off and I say, that's the one. Dog selection is one of the most difficult things in this industry, especially when it comes to something like service, because the fact is a lot of dogs don't make it. There's a testing period. There's a trial period. And the best way to increase your odds is to make sure the dog is selected correctly the first time. And it takes a while. And I've, I've been wrong before. We all have. But we learned through trial and error over the years, you know, what not to do, most importantly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, we're all getting better at it. And I've got it down now where I'm probably about an 80% success rate. Wow. That's, that is. Yeah, that's well, wonderful. That's because I, that's because I take my time on selecting the dogs. Yeah. I make, yeah. I make sure if, I, if it takes me three months to find the right dog, then it takes me three months to find the right dog. But mm-hmm. I'd rather do that than do a knee-jerk reaction, adopt a dog, and put him through all that training. That, I mean, when it comes to service, it is the upper echelon of training. Mm-hmm. And I would never fall through that just to fail him in the end or her. Yeah, I, yeah. They go through that, that vigilant training boot camp that we put them through. I want to make sure that they get certified and they pass. Because yeah. the last thing you want to do is put them through all that training and say, sorry, you didn't make the cut. Yeah. Well, and we heard about a couple of other dogs that are going to be in this season. There's a pointer mix, Chance. Can you tell us anything about Chance? Yeah, Chance. Um, that's the episode coming up this Saturday on CBS. And Chance, he was a stray. He was a puppy. I mean, he was only five months old. He's a pointer. He looked pretty pure. I'm sure he might be a mix, but it's very difficult to tell. He looks like a pointer. Very young. I mean, extremely sweet. And you wonder... How is this dog just running around the streets, you know? Yeah. You always wonder, how did this, how did this happen? I always love to sit here and do the math. Okay, did this dog get out of a breeder's yard? And he wasn't chipped. He had no tags. He wasn't neutered. So you can't say that this is a good owner. Yeah. You can't say that. Yeah. No. A good owner, they chip their dogs. You know, they have tags in their dogs. I understand, okay, the tags fall off. Maybe they're too young to neuter. Okay, I'll take that. What about the chip? Yeah. There's you no know? excuses. No, there's, there's there no, no excuses. Not, not in this day and age. Not in this no. day and age. 75 no. years ago, sure. But there's too many options to find your dog nowadays, to track your dog down. And so, anyway, um, it always, it's always my hope and my goal with every episode that goes on the air that the person who irresponsibly either turned this dog in or lost the dog, they see the episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 really hope I really hope they're watching and it's nothing for no other reason. It's just to educate them. Mm-hmm. Well, I know it would be like somebody that lost their lottery ticket, right? <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind that either. Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, unfortunately I, don't, I don't find many of those in the shelters. Yeah, it goes way beyond they should be ashamed of themselves, but just to see what they threw away and to see the, the opportunity there. I mean, it's incredible what these dogs can do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and tell us about Cora. Wasn't Cora an eight-year-old Dobie mix? She, okay, Cora, this is a great story. Cora, she was a Dobie mix. She's eight years old. She's technically considered a senior. And the potential owner that I, that I found for her, the woman she loves, one of her favorite hobbies. I always do a home visit, and I ask people about their life. I say, you know, what's your life like you know, outside of your home? What do you do for fun? And she kept saying she loves a paddleboard. 
stand-up paddle boarding. We see it a lot off the coast here of California. And that's what she does, you know, every day in her, in her spare time. And so I went back to the ranch, and I said, you know what? It would be really cool if I could teach her dog, her potential dog, how to stand on that board while she's paddled, while she's stand-up paddle boarding. And that's exactly what I did. And it was a process and it was a long training process. But the theme of the episode, and this is a very common, this is a very common theme. It's a very common uh, phrase with a lot of people. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, I beg to differ because this episode proves it. Here's a dog that technically considered a senior. She was written off at the shelter. Seniors generally don't get adopted. They don't get adopted as far as often as, uh, as younger dogs. Furthermore, She's a black dog. Black dogs statistically get adopted far less than any other color. So she had two things working against her. And then she's an old dog with a lot of bad habits. And in the episode, you see it time and again. She had every bad habit in the book. Well, it's no surprise because she had eight years to gain those bad habits from her previous owner. So you can't teach an old dog new tricks is one of the funniest things I've ever heard because, in my opinion, you can. You just can't teach them as fast, but they're, they're just as trainable. That's so great. Yeah. Well, we can't best, wait to see Cora. And the best thing about that episode is, uh, as you see, you know, when I was training her, it's, I have certain rules that, you know, when I'm training a trick on any dog or a technique, I have my step-by-step ABC123. And the way I trained it, you'll see it in the episode, is uh, I put the paddleboard against the side of the pool or the dock, anywhere we went. And what I would do is I would, I would strap it with bungees or ropes. That way, when the dog walks off the ledge onto the paddleboard, it doesn't really feel much different. The ah, board's not going to slip away. It's going away. Right. And so, and so as I was doing this, I noticed that right as I did this, I noticed that she would just jump on the board and sit there wagging her tail looking at me like, hey, why are you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> so what that told me is not only she wasn't afraid, but she actually liked doing it. So every time we went yeah. out, she would literally, she'd wag her tail. And then every once in a while, you know, a little wake would come and you'd see her adjust herself and she would just get low and then stand back up with a big smile in her face and start wagging her tail. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so, great. She yeah, was so loving it. A dog, oh, yeah. So getting a dog a little adventure is, is always, uh, it's a great feeling. Because again, yeah. Cora obviously didn't have a, a good life previous to when I rescued her. And so now she's uh, moved on to much greener pastures. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Well, you've done so much work in the training world. What is something that you haven't done that you really want to do in the future? You know, as, as time goes on and we learn more about you know, science of a human body, I really want to focus on other forms of service that people thought previously wasn't possible. You know, forms of, uh, of detection, you know, alerting people with medical conditions. Mm-hmm. We're just scratching the surface now with you know, the epilepsy and diabetes. But what they're learning now in universities and uh, labs all across the country is our bodies give off a scent when we have a medical condition. Mm-hmm. And we're learning this very quickly. And there are really no machines on the market that can detect scent and odor. If there are, they're not that good. Because even the best doctors will say the dog will do 10 times better than modern science will. There have been a lot of cases where whenever a, uh, a person's on the operating table and they have, you know, they have epilepsy, they're, they're seizing right there. The doctors require the dog to be in the operating room. And I think we're barely scratching the surface. And I think it's a big, it's a big future out there for alert dogs, for detection dogs. And that's something I really, want to, I really want to focus more on in the future because we really don't know what's possible yet. And the more I read about it, 
the more I study about the human body and about anatomy and the scent and odor the body gives off, the more I, I realize what is possible with dogs and service yeah. dogs because the dog is more powerful than any robot out there. I could not agree with you more. And I've seen it. And until you see that kind of detection, it is just, it's hard to get your head around that just like you said, the dogs can detect before any machine. I was having lunch with a woman who has diabetes and her dog was alerting way before her implanted machine was alerting. It was the most incredible thing I had ever witnessed. And it was just phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, and, and again, we're, we're at the dawn of it. I mean, I can't imagine another 30, 40 years. I know. It's so exciting. Yeah. Because we really know this. We didn't know this stuff, you know, a few decades ago. And now yeah. uh, we're taking it and I think there is no limit to what we're, what's possible with service animals. I know. Well, I've been partnered with an assistance dog for over 20 years, and I'm still blown away every day by how much they help me as a person with a disability that it just blows my mind still because they're the just same. so incredible. You partnered with the same dog? Nope. I've had I've Whistles, my okay. third assistance dog, and he's about okay. to retire, and I'll be getting my fourth dog. I'm actually starting that process now, and I still, it's just, it's the most incredible, it's the best gift I've ever, ever received, these, okay. these incredible dogs. I thought dogs. you had the same dog. I was like, wow. No. I, I want some of that. Well, I know. Well, I actually looked into the miniature horses at one point because they do live so much longer than a dog. Because I have to say, Brandon, that's been the hardest thing for me is retiring and then losing my assistance dog. So I tell you, I wish they could live to be 30, 40, 50 years would be awesome. But they just don't live long enough. These incredible, incredible little beings. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Brandon, it has been such a pleasure to visit with you today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. And we hope you'll come back and be with us again because we want to hear more about the wonderful work that you're doing with all of these shelter dogs and giving them not only a new chance in life, but a new career and a new profession. So thank you so much for that. Thanks, you. Thanks for having me. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us today. And you can follow Brandon and get more information about him on his website, which is animalexpertbrandonmcmillan.com. And you can also follow him on Twitter at Brandon McMillan. So I know that you will be like Whistle and myself and glued to our TV sets on Saturday morning to watch every episode of Lucky Dog that will appear on your local CBS station. So thanks so much for being with us. Us, you know you can follow us at Working Like Dogs, and we love getting your emails at Marcy M A R C I E at PetLifeRadio.com. So keep those coming and take good care. Let's talk pets every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>